Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Left of Straight Show with your host, Scott Fullerton, as we discuss everything under the rainbow sun, from LGBT issues to foodies, entertainment to books. Join us as we talk to some of the most interesting leaders and celebrity LGBT guests and allies on the internet. So grab a cocktail, it's always happy hour somewhere, and enjoy the show. Now, here's your host, Scott Fullerton. Well, howdy, 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 everybody. Welcome to the Left of Straight Show. It is Friday, May 22nd, 2020. I am your host, Scott Fullerton, and it's the first big weekend of the COVID quarantine. going to be interesting to see what happens out there amongst all of the crazies. On uh, Tuesday of this week, Ohio is going to have almost everything open but movie theaters, sporting events, and casinos, weddings, they can do up to 300 people, and bowling alleys, and it's going to be a wild time had by all. So I hope you guys are able to get together a little bit, maybe do a little social distancing picnic or something in your area, but be smart out there, please. It's a little scary out there. If you missed yesterday's show, we had a fantastic actor, actor Brett Aaron Nickel on, and Chad Campy from Minnesota. He does amazing drag brunches out there that has like 40,000 people a weekend sometimes. They do five sittings for this thing. And he's also the organizer of the Golden Girls Cruise this year, and he talked about that in the next couple of years that he'll be doing those. So that was a good interview. If you missed it, go check it out in the archives or download it from your favorite podcast distributor. We're on everything over there, the iHeartRadio and iTunes, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify, all the good stuff. And today we have a fantastic show. In just a couple of seconds here, I'm going to bring our special fitness correspondent, Mr. Jason Caceres on. He's going to do our Friday Fitness Minute for us. And then we're going to be followed by a live chat with Dell Shores and Emerson Collins. They have a brand new benefit they're doing on Sunday the 31st we're going to talk about. And then two amazing tape interviews. Shane Feldman from Toronto, Canada is a keynote leadership speaker and part of our LGBT community and is just killing. He's been to over 28 countries doing his leadership talks. And then Bill DePiro out of New York is a fantastic, uh, he does um, not stand-up, he does improv, improv, and he's a writer and an actor, and we have a great interview with him as well. So let's not waste any more time. I want to get right to it, and welcome to the show, my buddy, the very talented actor himself, and our special correspondent fitness instructor, Mr. Jason Caceres. Jason, how you doing, buddy? Hi, I'm doing really well. Thanks for having me on again. I love being on your show. <laughs> well, I'm excited. We're going to have more of you. About every other week, we're going to have you on, talk to our listeners about some fitness tips or just uh, maybe eating tips or kind of whatever 
blows your hair back because you are amazingly in shape, my friend. And it's <laughs> nice Thank you. to uh, be able to share that with my listeners every other week or so. So what do you got for us today, buddy? Well, I'm definitely uh, trying to stay in shape during this quarantine, which is uh, proving a little difficult since all the gyms are closed. But I have, through research, and um, you're aware that I'm taking this personal fitness uh, training course online. I'm almost done. I have two weeks left. Uh, And then I have to take the test and hopefully pass. But I have somewhat developed a routine at home that anybody can do, um, as long as you have resistance bands and they're super affordable they have they have them for like five bucks on amazon um nice with free delivery amazon is doing now which is amazing um i only know that because i broke my resistance bands that i had before and i had to buy new ones (laughs) but anyway um i'm learning so much information that i was kind of overwhelmed and i was like oh no what do i want to talk about today should i talk about nutrition should i talk about fitness what do i do so i figured i'd just I'm also a little out of breath because I just finished my workout. I timed it perfectly to end right at the beginning of this interview. Um, But I thought I'd take people through my upper body workout that I developed for the quarantine. Fantastic. Yeah. So the important thing, um, this aside, it's a little uh, intense because I'm somewhat psychotic. uh, And (laughs) I'm trying to stay in shape for this movie I'm supposed to do the minute this quarantine is over. Um, So the important takeaway for me uh, that I want the listeners to take with them after this is that you should not overwhelm yourself because we are already all living under such stressful conditions um, Mm. because of the quarantine and all of that. Um, If you do need more cheat days and more, you know, days where you don't work out, that is totally fine because stress, actually makes you gain weight so it's counterproductive to overwhelm yourself trying to stay in shape because your body's gonna go into defense mode Mm. anyway the important thing is to move constantly for at least 30 minutes a day because it's been shown to reduce cardiovascular diseases um prevent uh bone conditions such as arthritis osteoporosis all of that so at least for 30 minutes a day you should be moving nonstop continuously um, and you're already way better off than the majority of the population. So what I do to start off is I wake up and I go for an hour run with my dog. He's a great companion. Um, And when I mean run, it's like a, it's more like a jog because my dog likes to stop a lot to (laughs) mark his territory. If you know what I mean? So for me, that's like a great warm up. If you can't jog, even my book uh, says that pacing around in your, in your living room is a great start to uh, cardio exercise for beginners. So just pace back and forth in front of your television while you're watching your favorite show for 30 minutes. And that gets your heart rate pumping and flowing. So after that, I come back home. Uh, I do crunches for five minutes straight. So I'll do a minute of front crunches, then a minute of um, cross crunches to the left, cross crunches to the right. And I do leg lift crunches, um, and I end with bicycle crunches. So that's five minutes, one minute each. It seems a little excessive. Again, you don't have to start with five minutes. You can just start with, like, 100 crunches, and that's fine. Nice. So it's, it's a little intense. And after that, um, 
I do four circuits, which have uh, four different exercises in them. So a circuit is when you do one exercise after another without stopping, and then you rest after you're done with all four exercises. Um, and I do three sets of four circuits with four exercises each in them. Um, so my first circuit consists of a bicep curl, which you can do with resistance bands. Just step on the middle of the, of the resistance band, grab the ends with each arm, and curl away. <laughs> uh, <laughs> then after that, I do back rows. So with this, you don't even have to move your feet. The same, uh, same position you were in before for the bicep curls, do 25 reps of back rows, which is just bend over slightly, bend your knees, and then row backwards. It's a little hard to picture because this is a phone interview, but bear right. with me. All of this is super Googleable. And most of this I developed uh, using a website called self.com. They have a lot of really good exercise tips. So if you want visuals, they have them over there. Uh, so then I move over to, I'm done with the rows. So then I do overhead presses with the resistance band. You just hold the resistance band over your head, pull apart um, until your elbows are at a 90 degree angle from your shoulders. Then after that, gotcha. I do... Uh, I do resistance band pull apart. So again, hold the resistance bands in front of you uh, and just pull them apart. Uh, rotate your shoulders till your arms are, instead of in front of you, they're lateral to the side. So that's my first circuit. Then my next circuit, I do bicep curls again, uh, just because I really want, because I'm not doing weighted exercise, I want to exhaust the muscles as much as possible uh, so that they tear and build uh, and reach hypertrophy, which is the point of muscle growth. So I do bicep curls again. Then after that, I go to tricep dips, uh, which are very simple. You can do on any elevated surface. Then I do uh, leg elevated push-ups. So you put your legs up on like a coffee table, a chair, your couch, um, and your hands are in push-up position on the floor. Push-up away, 25 reps of those. Uh, and then I do inverted skull pressures which are a little hard to explain. It's like a regular tricep extension that you would do on a bench. Um, you're basically standing, lean over onto a, an elevated surface like a coffee table, and then it's basically a tricep extension backwards while standing. Does mm -hmm. that make sense? Yeah, got it. Um, again, this is, it may be very, very overwhelming for a beginner. It's okay to end there or even before that is okay as well. Uh, and then I have two other circuits that I do. Uh, the next one is um, tricep pulls with resistance bands. So step on the resistance band with one leg, bring it up and over you from behind and then extend up. And I do that with each arm. Then sidearm extensions, just grab the resistance band and um, one arm at a time with your elbows tight to your body, just pull apart to the left or right, whichever arm you're working out at that point. And then I go down for diamond push-ups, uh, which also work out your triceps. And then after that, I do arm elevated push-ups. So remember earlier we did the leg elevated push-ups. Now you keep your legs right. on the floor and you push up on an elevated surface like a coffee table, a couch, a chair, something like that. So that's the end of my third circuit. 
Okay, fourth circuit. Uh, I do resistance band chest press, which actually I just bought this really cool resistance band that you can uh, hook up to the top of your door. Mm. And then nice. it's super, it, it was like, that's, it's the new one that I bought because I broke my other ones. It's only like, I, I believe it was like <laughs> six something with tax. Uh, so again, you hook it up to your door, uh, grab each end of the resistance band and then press forward. So you feel that kind of like burn in your, in your chest. It's going to be more of like a um, decline chest press because the door is so high up and you're pressing down. But that's okay because you want to you wanna hit every angle of your chest anyway to get that nice round plump chest that us men crave, <laughs> if not in ourselves <laughs> right. and other people. You know what I mean? I gotcha. Nice. Yeah, so I, and that's your it's it's a little intense. Your... That's my upper body workout. Well, that's cool. Thanks for sharing that with us and we're we'll find little hint ways. We're going to put Christian to work and make him take a couple photos or something. We'll paste it underneath on the slideshow running on this because uh those are great ideas. I love all that and I just appreciate you coming on board. This is a great first time out there and we get to see you every other week. So, thanks for that, my friend. That was amazing. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me on. I hope it wasn't very confusing. Um, but I do have some videos of these on my Instagram that I have been posting. Well, that's my next question. I want you to go ahead in case any of the listeners have any questions or want to reach out to you. Jason's really good about responding on his Instagram. Um, what's Where can they find you on social media? Uh, my social media handles are all the same across every social media. It's just Jason, then S, and then my last name, Caceres. Super duper. Well, Jason Caceres, welcome as a bi-weekly, that's the first time we've been bi in a while, bi-weekly correspondent <laughs> on the Left and Straight Show. I appreciate you, my friend, and we will do a live workout on video when I get to Palm Springs. We'll have to have a little fun with it because you'll be one of those Fridays, oh, that's yeah. for sure. We'll have to make oh that God, in. That'll be that'll so be much fun. fun. I can show you my super cool resistance bands. There you go. Well, stay on the line for me, guys. We're going to play out a little song here. This is Travel Around Your World with – actually, we got – nope, we got to go ahead and do that. Travel Around Your World with Matt Stern. When I come back, we're going to have Del Shores and Emerson Collins from A Very Sorted Lives Film and Very Sorted Wedding. You listen to Left of Straight Show right here on the Left of Straight Radio Network. Stay on the line for me, Jason.
over to the place you're always going I can never see the water in the vase that's overflowing can never see the walls that were supposedly left before me Never keep my mouth shut Always wanna give it and never wanna give up I'm just trying to keep this holy Leave the rest, the destiny guys we are back that was matt stern with travel around your world guys i'm so excited welcome back to the show two of my favorite guests y'all know del shore is a writer director producer emerson collins actor and producer and the two of them are teaming up with dell's charitable foundation to give back to the medium they both love and got their starts in theater on Sunday, May 31st, they put together an all-star live streaming benefit reading of Dell's hit and iconic play, Sorted Lives. They're bringing back some of your favorite characters from both the movies and the television series. And along with the reading, they're going to have special guests, an auction of memorabilia direct from the show. Let's bring them on to talk about it. Two people that I've been blessed to know with their giving hearts, and even more blessed to have their friendship. So let's welcome the handsome and talented Mr. Del Shores and Emerson Collins. How we doing, guys? Oh, hello. Hey, hey. We are good. We're fine. We're well. Things are good. I am so, so glad to have you on the show. Home. There you go. Well, Isn't we're it crazy? Does it feel like a Memorial Day weekend? Like, even a little bit? <laughs> well, you know, now you know, everybody would... has say yes to doing the shows, you know, because we know they're at home, so if they know they're an asshole. <laughs> I'll tell yes, you. It's, if you. 
if you turn us down, I mean, because we got our show going again, you turn us down, we go, well, what what do you ha- really have to do? Really? Um, I've seen there your Instagram. Um, but <laughs> we, we are having, uh, we, you know, we're all coping. We're doing the best we can given these conditions. I was supposed to be uh, at Oz Campground this weekend for Sorted Lives Weekend. I just sent him a video message. Uh, I believe uh, just uh, to say hello. I wish I were there getting naked with y'all, but um, you know, because because you know it's clothing optional there, Scott. You know, it's, we we like our clothing optional the places. The way it should be. I right. agree. <laughs> well, very good. And uh, Emerson, how are you holding up there in beautiful downtown Palm Springs? Are you surviving? Yes, you know, a little stir crazy. We got our little quarantine commune going on. Um, but, you know, no complaints. We are luckier than many. Um, so we have the time, which is why we've, we've been coming up with things to do to entertain other people. Well, you guys and have been killing it. <laughs> definitely fun little Instagram lives and some streaming with your housewives. And Emerson, you're the proud pop, it looks like, of a baby hummingbird. So giving, giving all sorts of realness out there to everybody, right? <laughs> yes. Anything we can think of, you know, and on the serious end, you know, so many people, there are people that are frontline workers, people who have been out and having to go to work to support the industries the rest of us need, you know, this whole time. So I figure the least we can do, those of us that are entertainers while we're stuck at home, is provide things that can be diversions and amusement, uh, you know, for the people who are working to keep our world working. Exactly. Well, well said. said. And I, that's why well I'm, said. I'm, Exactly. That's why I'm so excited that Dylan Emerson show is back. We'll talk about that in a second, but you're right. I mean, I just, I brought my shows to five days a week during uh, quarantine just because there's so much great content out there that I wanted to give people a platform. A, it's sometimes the only way they're making money if it's a musician or even a trainer or something like that. B, they're really lifting the spirits of these people that are working their butts off that have to go to work every day. And it's just really nice to see how the entertainment community, such as yourselves, have gathered around each other to to kind of give us some respite. So anywhere from a hairspray live, we got the beat video to whatever it happens to be. So, talk about bringing back Dylan Emerson. Has that been fun? Oh, it's been so much fun. We uh, I don't even remember the, how we brainstormed it. Do you remember Emerson? Was it your idea? Uh, yes, it was. I was like, look, we're stuck at home. I think we can figure this out. I mean, we got nothing else to do, and also I need to make some money, so let's entertain the people. <laughs> and, and and we've just, you know, we've reached out to our friends, and uh, we, we used to do the show, you know, on radio, on UBN radio, and uh, that was, I guess, I, how long ago was it that we, I think we ended it three years ago, and yep. we ended it to go shoot a very sordid wedding. And uh, but we always loved doing it. It was just, uh, you know, as you know, Scott, it's a lot of work, the content to put it all together. And Emerson works harder than I do. And because uh, he he really grooms those stories, he go he finds them. And uh, and so we, uh, you know, we, we just re- we started reaching out to friends and we've had some really good people on. We've had Leslie. We had Leslie Jordan. We had uh, Brandy Clark on and. Uh, who I'm obsessed with, and that was a thrill, and uh, just a, just a really lot of uh, f- people that we consider friends, and uh, right, I don't think we've had any strangers on Emerson. It's we've just all reached out to our friends, and 
uh, it's been it's been a lot of fun. Yeah. Well, you know, it's always been a fun way for us to celebrate people we know and work that they're doing and keep it focused for the most part in the community and, and also people we know that other people will enjoy hearing from and giving them more time to talk about whatever. Right, exactly. And, and like I said, you guys have been doing it. I mean, it started over five years ago because you guys are the reason I launched my show, and I started it five years ago in the end of June here. So I know you guys have been at it for a while until the movie started. Emerson, I'm impressed with your video capabilities. I mean, you're zooming in and out and tri-screening and quad-screening, and you've, you've became either a crash course in it or you're just a whiz. Yeah, no, I asked somebody else. I was like, okay, if we want to stream, what's the, what's the way we can do? And, um, and you know, not have to go to, like, back to a full radio platform. And I was like, oh, yeah, we can learn this real fast. And, you know, as you've seen, we just figure out a little bit more as we go. Lots of entertainers are becoming experts in technology things that usually somebody else does. <laughs> right. I right. am not well, one it's... of those people. <laughs> <laughs> I hear you. I mean. I depend I on Emerson my, Collins. <laughs> exactly. My excuse for not going to video was always had the face for radio, but now it's so easy. It's just like, I just don't know how to do it. I'm sorry. I can't do it. I, I don't understand. But anyway, let's move on. We got about 15 minutes here, and we have to talk about this benefit. I mean, we talked a while back about your foundation, Dell, getting it up and running. It's amazing that you picked this first thing to really launch off a fundraising that that's for other people. It's for a theater company. Tell me how you guys came up with this idea. Well, it was, it was uh, truly a a collective uh, thoughts between myself and Emerson Collins and our good friend, Ed Decker up at new conservatory theater center in San Francisco, where uh, I premiered my last play, this side of crazy in 2019 and it started, it really, and, and it started, I was inspired by uh, Bonnie Pendleton in, in, in uh, Knoxville at the uh, little theater there that I had performed in. And uh, they had done my shows and just on Facebook, she messaged me one day and I, I said, how are you doing? And she said, oh, we're really worried about losing our theater. This theater has been in operation for over 40 years. And uh, it just broke my heart that they had had such a, a, a uphill climb to raise money to to get into a new building. They it, their building was so beautiful, but you know they were they incurred new money. I mean new new expenses with their lease and everything. And um, I thought, you know, what can I do? And I started talking to Emerson. I said, I wonder if we could just do a a, a virtual reading. And my first idea was. Well, I wouldn't even go into it because what happens with ideas is they evolve, they evolve. And finally, Ed Decker said, just get your stars to do this. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and, and, and that, you know what, that, that I, I reached out to them and, uh, and we, we both did. And uh, every one of them said yes. So it's really a beautiful combination of the sordid world that has been created ever since the play in 1996 to the movie in 1990. Um, I mean, in 2000, and then I can't go backwards there. And then uh, the, the series and even the national tour, because Debbie holiday did the national tour is 50 May. And uh, it just combined all these forces. And um, 
it, we, we, we've, we've had such a good time reconnecting with everybody and we're looking forward to the, the reading on uh, the 31st. That's amazing. And Emerson, we've talked before how you came into the Sorted family when Dell saw you doing some of your magnificent, magnificent performances in Southern Baptist Sissies, and now you've acted in the sequel to Sorted Lives. Why is giving back to the theater so important to you as well, my friend? Well, it's the same thing. You know, I think all of us as artists have people that pave the way for us. Um, and then as we get more and more opportunities ourselves, remembering to lend hands back and to the side so that we all move forward as artists and we do all come from the theater in fact the theater i met dell at is one of the partners of the foundation and is is one of the beneficiaries of this uh benefit and they're also supposed to do the world premiere of a very wedding later this year and so i uh, the theater has given me so much it's an easy uh jump to think of what can i get back to the theater right now to make sure the things that I got as an audience member and as a performer are there for other people after this, you know, and it's wonderful to be able to combine something that will be entertaining for the fans, a once in a lifetime cast combination. um, And in the process, raise money, you know, for people who do what we do. Nice. And Dell, talk about this magical garage that you're filling out with all these amazing props and things as auction. Talk about that for a second. Well, I, I don't know if it was just laziness or attachment to them, but I, they have all a lot of things have been sitting in my garage for many, many years. Uh, after the series ended, I I was able to get a hold of a lot of the costumes and props, and I honestly have not looked at them. So I really didn't know what I had. I just knew I had all these boxes. So I pulled them out, and I thought because I thought you know what people love a piece of, 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 of a little sordid history. Uh, and we, I started, you know, I started finding Latrell's pearls and Latrell's wedding ring <laughs> and Dr. Eve's bra and uh, just some really fun. I, I found two things that I was stunned that I had. I have the original earrings, the, the uh, rhinestones that Leslie Jordan wore as brother boy on stage in the play in the movie and in the series. And I oh also have the red, the red pumps that he originally wore on stage in 1996. I got him to sign them. And uh, my daughter, Rebecca has been just so diligent coming over and sorting through all this. Cause we, you know, you have to identify it in the, sure. for it to be, uh, you know, you have to go through, take screenshots of where it appeared. And so we went through all the, the uh, episodes of in you know watching sorted series again and uh, anyway we we can, we have a lot of fun items and that will go up um, to, for auction probably next week and it'll be up, they will be up for two two weeks so I mean we even have brother boys uh, robe from sorted wedding and those blue pajamas and the Tammy Wynette mural that he said, please make all the ugly in the world go away. So um, <laughs> we've got some fun things. And Emerson, tell us about the technical aspect. You're going to be wrangling about 10 to 20 actors here. Plus you have Olivia Newton-John making a special announcement. You have Levi Christ who is saying for the wedding. Talk about the technical aspect. How are you holding up my friend? Fine. You know, we also have a technical producer, Emily Nominson, that will be handling the big heavy lifting. Uh, so Dell and I can host live. And of course, you know, the messages that are coming in and making sure everything plays correctly and all of that. But 
I also feel like we get a little bit of, you know, um, people have to forgive because, look, it's a free show. You only donate if you want to. So whatever happens, happens. And we'll have a great, fun, silly night. And he's performing, too, Scott. It's not just like we're hosting it, and then he's stepping in his tie during the reading. So he has to be host and then, you know, do all the acting work of getting into character. So it's it's going to be quite a – I think Emerson has the hardest job of all of us. Well, it's going to well, be we're amazing. We're all doing our part. <laughs> Let everyone know the date and the time again real quick and uh, and kind of where they should tune in at. I think they're streaming out on a couple platforms, right? Yeah, Sunday, May 31st. 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern, uh, streaming on YouTube. And you can actually go to the YouTube link. is already up. Has- if you search hashtag sorted live stream, you'll see the link, and you can set a reminder so you get a notification when it goes live. And on Monday, the link will be live on Dell's Facebook page as well to be streaming there also. And, 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 and Emerson, help me. I'm sorry, go ahead. So I'm sorry. And all of the donations and all of the information, all of the links will be on the DelShoresFoundation.org website. And I, I, want, I, want, uh, I want Emerson to make sure that I cover them all, but I want to go through and see if I can get all the cast members right now, and then he's, he, he will help me with all the special appearances. So here we go. Um, Emerson Collins is Ty, Debbie Holiday as Bitsy May, Beth Grant as Sissy, uh, uh, Caroline Ray as Nolita, uh, Bonnie Bedelia as Latrell, Ann Walker as Lavanda, Newell Alexander as Wardell, David Cowgill as Odell, Bo Bridges as GW, and Dale Dickey as Juanita, Leslie Jordan as Brother Boy. Rosemary Alexander as Dr. Eve. I'm doing a little cameo as the preacher. And I think that's it. <laughs> Did I get that's the it. cast? In- <laughs> yes. Very good. In one breath almost, too. I'm impressed. Very good, Dell. Well, I got to tell you, I'm excited. I want to thank you for including our little theater here in Northeast Ohio, actually in Central Ohio, Evolution Theater here in Columbus is part of the one of the benefactors of this so we appreciate it and mama linda loves you so much and she's enjoyed getting to see you at that and emerson up at the theater so we are going to match the next four 25 donations because you're taking donations now on the foundation site so the next That's four right. we people are. that donate 25 dollars uh, each mama's going to match up to a hundred dollars and the left of straight show is going to match a second hundred dollars. So send us over all oh, my listeners out you. there. No problem. Send us over a little DM, send me a little picture of your donation and we will shout you out on the radio and match up to $200 here. So let's start giving now because you guys are taking money right now on the foundation site, right? Yes. We are. We've raised a few thousand already and we, but we want to raise a lot more thousands because we, we've got 23 theaters that are going to be splitting this. So we really want to drive it up. So thank you for that, Scott. That was very generous of you and your mom. It's our pleasure, my friend. I'm just excited for it. It's going to be a big undertaking, but if anybody can do it, it's you too. That is for darn sure. All right, well, we got to start wrapping it up, guys. Please let my listeners know when they can catch the Dell and Emerson show. 
and where they can find you each on social media because you both have amazing social media profiles to follow. Dell and Emerson show well, is Tuesdays and Fridays at 4 o'clock Pacific on Dell's Facebook page and my YouTube channel. And you can find me on Instagram at Emerson Collins and on Twitter at Actually Emerson. And I am on Facebook at, uh, you know, you just uh, go to uh, Facebook.com, Dell Shores Fan Club, and then on Twitter and Instagram at Dell Shores. Amazing. Gentlemen, thanks for coming on. We're going to have some continuing members of the Sorted Lies family on Monday's show next week. We'll have Levi Christ on Tuesday. We're going to have Dr. Eve and Wardell, Rosemary and Newell Alexander. And on Wednesday, LaVonda herself, Miss Ann Walker, will be stopping by the show. So look for that next week. I'm going to go out and play a little music. Guys, stay on the line for me. When we come back, we're going to have my interview with Shane Feldman from Toronto, Canada. He's an amazing keynote leadership speaker. He's speaking to 28 different countries. He has his own foundation for youth and is a very out and proud member of our community and has a great, inspiring interview today. So stay tuned for that. We'll be back in a little bit. You're listening to the Left of Straight show right here on the Left of Straight radio network. Somebody somewhere has got a long road to haul. Somebody somewhere has got a mind to give it all. Lord, won't you make that someone hopeful? Won't you make them strong? Cause we all gotta stumble before we stand and talk. And I know that it ain't easy, but there's a thrill in the fact if you know where.
That was Levi Christ with Standing Tall. Tony Award-winning Levi Christ is going to be on the show Monday on our Musical Monday episode, so be sure not to miss that. And speaking of Standing Tall, guys, I'm so excited and humbled to have my next guest on the show. He's a world-renowned speaker and strategist for some of the top companies, such as Disney, Google, Microsoft, and he's been recognized by some names you just might have heard of, the U.S. White House, the Prime Minister of Canada, and the United Nations, to name a few. He came across my Instagram feed of all places, and I knew I had to follow and talk to this amazing young man with a zest for life and leadership, lifting up other people, young and old alike, to be their best selves, and just an all-around great guy. Please welcome to the show for the very first time, Mr. Shane Feldman. Shane, how you doing, man? Scott, so good, especially now that I get to chat with you. It is my pleasure, my friend. I'm excited to find you at home. As we were talking off air, I mean, you're traveling all over the world. Talk about Corona Quarantine. Has it been a chance for you to renew yourself and your passions or just dive in all harder at all the things you haven't had a chance to do for the last however many years? Oh, you got it. It's been a fascinating couple months now. I I know I was just telling you before, you know, I was traveling. I mean, I travel all the time, but this past January specifically, I was in uh, half a dozen countries and three continents all in the span of three weeks. Uh, So it really went from 100 to zero (laughs) real quick. Um, And it's been interesting. This is the longest stretch that I have spent home in many years. Um, in, in one stint, but it's been fantastic, honestly. I mean, I'm I'm grateful that my friends, my family, everyone is good, everyone is healthy, and so I've really gotten the the chance and really made this time out to be a business incubator and a pseudo meditation retreat. So it's been a great time to to get productive, to get focused, and also spend a lot of time on my own personal development. You know, just because I'm out there speaking and helping others with their own growth, their own development, doesn't mean I uh, you know, have stopped doing the same for myself. That is great. Good for you. Well, I got to tell you, I mean, I've talked to hundreds of people over five years doing this show, and you're one of the few that intimidate the hell out of me. You're so accomplished, self-assured, you're a gifted speaker, handsome, and you actually think before you speak. So in order to level the playing field here a bit, I need you to give me your most embarrassing experience or a time you felt the most self-conscious. At an event. <laughs> Jeez. Okay, we're just going right for it. Uh, the, the most we are. conscious that I've ever been. Um, you know, I I think was <laughs> the most embarrassing experiences I've probably had was I, I was doing some research in Japan. Um, so I've I've researched community leadership and human behavior around the world. Twenty eight different countries have traveled the globe, and one of my favorite countries is Japan by far. Love it, love the food, love the people, love the food. Uh, and one <laughs> night, 
I was out with a buddy of mine in Japan. We were at a traditional Japanese pub getting some late eats and uh, drinking maybe perhaps uh, a bit too much sake. And we were getting up to leave the, the pub. It was probably around 1 a.m. And it was just uh, my buddy and I, and then it's a really small pub. They're all really small in, in Tokyo. Maybe 12, 15 other locals. Uh, you know, Japanese businessmen and women in this in this pub. And we get up to leave, and I turn to everyone as we're leaving in this small pub and shout quite loudly, Ohio gozaimasu. And what I meant to say was arigato gozaimasu, which means thank you very much. It's what you say when you leave a place. But I shouted Ohio gozaimasu, which means good morning. <laughs> so everyone <laughs> in this pub stops what they're doing. They put down their chopsticks. They stare at me, and I actually don't even realize what I've said. I don't, I don't even catch on until my friend tells me that I just shouted good morning to everyone at 1 a.m. in this pub. Um, so that definitely jumps out to me at a time where here I am trying to, you know, build relationships and strategic partners with business people in Japan and shouting good morning to them at 1 a.m. as I'm leaving a bar. That is hilarious and makes me feel much more at ease. Thank you for sharing that. I appreciate it. My pleasure. Let's go ahead and give my listeners a little start from the beginning. Tell me about where you grew up, what kind of a kid were you, and what did you first think you were going to be when you grew up? Ooh, My dream job as a kid, as young as I can remember, what I wanted more than anything was to be a street cleaner driver. That was that was the big goal, the big vision. You know how young kids will hear an ice cream truck that get all excited and run to the window? That was me with a street cleaner. I'd run to our window and just shout, Mom, Mom, a street cleaner, a street cleaner. So from a very young age, like that, that's all I wanted. Um, and and really any big vehicles always fascinated me. I was always interested in transportation and vehicles. One of my earliest childhood memories was when my mom would take me and my sister on what she would call transportation days. And it meant that we were going to take as many modes of public transportation as we could in one single day. And where I grew up in Toronto, there were tons of amazing options. So we had subway, we had light rail, we had buses, a ferry, you name it, we got it. That's what it felt like <laughs> as, as a four and five-year-old. And I loved it. And what I didn't realize at the time, of course, as a little kid, was that these amazing transportation days that were kind of my first experience getting hooked on community and connection and, you know, the fact that everyone around me has this story that is the life they're living. What I didn't realize at the time was that transportation days were simply my mom's way of keeping me and my sister entertained for the cost of a single bus token because at the time she was struggling to pay rent you know, single mom raising two mm. kids and, and then three kids. And, you know, um, that that creativity and resourcefulness actually ended up planting a seed in me very early on that has, has led to this career I have now of travel and of community. Good on her. That's an amazing story. I love that that kind of really spurred something inside of you. When was your first inkling that you actually had a knack for motivating others um, did you kind of were you, were you the the guy that everyone gathered around as a kid, or did that kind of take some self work in building up your confidence? Or talk about the early early part of your career. Well, never mind the early part. Even to this day, Scott, I am so introverted, I can't even tell you. And I love social time. I love connecting with others. I love conversations. I love events. And please, I'm a speaker, so I spend all my time on stage, virtual or <laughs> or physical. 
Um, but I am super introverted. So early on was definitely not my thing to be in front of large groups or to be in those kinds of situations. But I kind of stumbled down this path because of this obsession I had early on with community and connection. And so starting high school, this time where most people are going through the motions and oftentimes, let's be honest, doing the bare minimum and kind of just, you know, getting the academics out of the way. I saw that as an opportunity to actually connect with the community, to connect with internships and volunteer projects. Mm -hmm. And I saw all these students around me hating life, wanting to drop out, just going through the motions and spending every waking moment in between on their devices as smartphones were just starting to become the norm. And uh, it was, it was this idea I had early on in my freshman year to start a school project, a program to motivate my big goal was to motivate 50 kids in my school to get involved the way that I was getting involved to maybe start their own project or get involved in a volunteer opportunity with an internship that was the right fit for them to help give them something else to look forward to and have fun with while, you know, going through high school. And so that right. first idea is what has now become Count Me In. So our, our first event, the first Count Me In event um, that was born out of my high school locker ended up attracting more than 300 students from seven different schools. It was this motivational day. And then part two was this after party where we actually connected students to volunteer projects and those internships. And then fast forward, you know, 11 years now, Count Me In Today is a social entrepreneurship incubator. So we have, uh, you know, left behind those days of hand-holding and helping students find the right opportunities to get involved in their community. And instead now we recognize there's an entrepreneurial spirit inside this next generation. So we exist to inspire that next generation of community minded entrepreneurs. And we have initiated more than 30,000 projects. Now we're in 104 countries and we have millions of, of students that are leading and taking part in these grassroots projects, whether they are for purpose, ventures or nonprofit events and projects. Uh, the one kind of caveat that we have to put out there to all of our members is that whatever they start, whatever project they want to take on, it has to unite people in their community. It has to celebrate diversity and inclusion mm -hmm. and individuality. Look at all that. Over 30,000 projects worldwide, as you said, 10 million people plus participating in this. Talk about from the locker room to now, the, your, your locker in school to now, what did you ever envision it getting this big, and what is one of your proudest achievements so far? Never thought it was going to be more than 50 people in a classroom you know, <laughs> with, with a pizza lunch. That was, that was the, genuinely the big vision. That's what I thought it was going to be. But as it started to grow, I realized we were filling a void that no one else was. This was a real opportunity, and I loved it. I was hooked. And, and it just, it kind of unfolded as this incredible opportunity to serve and to contribute and to also fill my own purpose of inspiring others to live their best life and to reach their next level of potential fulfillment and joy every single day, which is the same I do for all of my corporate clients today. And when I'm speaking on stages, the, the kind of bumpy road to, to get from that first, you know, regional event to what's now this, this global movement I think the the climax for me looking back was in 2015, and it was a significant moment of growth not only for the organization, but first and foremost, honestly, for, for me as 
as a, a person and the leader of this movement. So the first idea for Count Me In started my freshman year, 2008. And by 2015, our team had tripled in size when compared to our first year uh, starting as an organization. And we were gearing up for our largest event to date. We had done the regional events, the national events, and now we were planning a global live stream that was rivaling the scale of the Oscars and Grammys. So we had taken over one of the largest theaters in North America, thousands of seats, and we're streaming live to millions around the world in more than 100 countries, working with the same director that just got back from doing the opening ceremonies of the Olympics. The big show, we have a crew of 139 people. I was barely 20 years old at the time, and I'm the one in charge. So just picture a toddler running the show, and that's basically <laughs> what, what was happening. And I know, you know no one can see me right now, but if you do a quick Google, if you aren't familiar with me or my work, you'll know I look very young today. Um, and so just imagine how young I looked back then. I, I'm still sometimes confused as an unaccompanied minor. So if that tells you anything, you know, it, it was, it was a scene. Um, and all that to say, it really was a success. And I was, you know, learning on the fly, but we we're pulling off an incredible show and I owe a lot to my team, but it was remarkable. The thing is, if you were watching that show live or watching me interviewed on the evening news, or the national morning shows, you would have seen this young, budding success story. But what no one could see or possibly know was that hidden behind my smile, I was deeply struggling. And even those hmm. closest to me, my closest people in, in my life, had no idea how deeply alone I felt at that moment and at that juncture of my life. I was so consumed by loneliness, Scott, that by the time I turned 19, I actually felt physically sick. I was waking up in the morning with no motivation to get out of bed. My body was aching all the time. I was like losing weight that I didn't have to lose. It was, it was a really rough time, and I was just distracting myself at every turn with busyness, just trying to consume myself and cover myself and bury myself in work to distract myself mm. from the crippling loneliness and, and, frankly, depression that I was feeling at the time. And what happened directly after this massive broadcast, kind of like the, the pinnacle of my young career at the time, were two subsequent events that kind of collectively formed this wake-up call for me and flipped a switch inside of me. So the first was that uh, just a few weeks following this big broadcast, uh, a few events kind of opened my eyes to the fact that I was in a, an incredibly toxic romantic relationship with my boyfriend at the time. And mm. so I had to navigate that codependency and exit that relationship and work through all the challenges involved in that. And just as I was beginning the recovery journey uh, following that relationship, I had to deal with this smear campaign that was led against me online, uh, you know, deal with a legal and PR nightmare addressing all these false claims about me that were being spread online. And that was hard enough. And then I oh, found man. out the person behind this smear campaign was actually my best friend of eight years who was trying to steal all my IP. And the legal wow. battle that followed between me and someone who I consider to be one of the closest people in my life, it nearly broke me. G genuinely nearly broke me. And so those two events that happened nearly simultaneously back to back formed this wake up call of how alone I actually was and how 
I could not go on living this way. It just, it wasn't okay. It didn't feel good. I had no more joy left in my life, zero spark. And, and nobody, I just felt so desperately alone. And then I had this, this incredible opportunity that came up where an organization in Asia wanted to fly me out to talk about a partnership uh, between them and Count Me In. And so I seized the opportunity for them to, to fly me out and I just figured this was the escape I needed to kind of reset, recharge, and maybe, you know, find myself. So I, I went out for, for the meeting. It was triple the number of hours that I'd ever spent on a plane before um, <laughs> to, to get out to Southeast Asia. And then I extended my time. I was taking off a month, and I just figured after the meeting I was going to reset, recharge, backpack a little, and, and try and find myself and maybe the sense of community that I was missing and craving. And I had no inkling of an idea of how transformative that trip would actually be, let alone the fact that that first plane ticket would actually turn into this unplanned research trip through 28 countries. And I've now spent the last five years researching across five continents, and it all started with that one trip, that one adventure, where I not only started to find myself and find what I was missing in these Eastern cultures, but I also started to realize that it really doesn't matter how far or wide you search. Community isn't something you can ever find. It's something that we each have the ability to practice and create every single day, regardless of who we are or where we live. So that, that experience in 2015 was really the turning point, again, not just for Count Me In and the subsequent growth of our team and our organization, our events and our programs, but also me and, and, the, and the person that I am today, the speaker that I am on stage and and uh, and who I get to wake up as each morning. That is an amazing story, and I appreciate you sharing that because, yeah, it's it's very hard to find yourself. And I can imagine after something would happen with your friend to learn to trust again, and you need to have that time just to build that up, build up your own confidence in yourself. How were you able to get that trust back in others? It, it, it took time for sure. And a large part of my recovery practice was really based around forgiveness and resentment. And, you know, mm. it's the same way my, my friend Drew Dudley um, always says that he has to remind himself that the dog he sees on the street is not the same dog that attacked him when he was seven years old. And I think the same is true when you're talking about trust in people, right? I, I had to recognize in myself and, and repair from within to realize that just because I was betrayed by someone who had earned and gained my trust, it doesn't mean that everyone else around me is out to do the same. And that really comes from a place of accepting myself, building my own internal confidence and gaining the, the strength and wisdom and intuition and confidence to go out and build relationships slowly, surely. And then, you know, every friend that I have made since that time has added my, added to my social intelligence, my social capital and my belief that, you can find the best in people no matter what you've gone through. You know, it's interesting. We can, we can only change one thing about our past and that's the meaning that we give it. And that was a reframe that I had to go through. And the moment that I came to that understanding and realization, everything started to shift. And you've surrounded yourself with such great people where you really, I mean, you've had to given up, um, those trust issues just because to find people of the caliber that you're working with 
Talk about what draws you to people and what makes you seek other people out to help you in your endeavors. I am a collaborator by nature. It's who I am. As like I say, community builder, the community runs through my veins. I'm all about people. <laughs> and I know that we can accomplish so much more and, you know, create such, such a vast empire of impact only through collaboration and partnership. So since the very beginning, Count Bien has always been kind of this Switzerland type organization where we're always bringing together different companies, organizations, nonprofits to collaborate in really incredible ways. And similarly, in all my corporate work, it's always about finding best practices, best people, the best speakers to join me on my stages when I'm producing events myself or having you know, people join me on the road when I'm going on a speaking tour myself so they can open for me or you know, uh, come, come be a part of it in some other way. We have so much to learn from one another. And the second that you feel like you have the most to contribute on a stage or in a room, you're going to stop growing. And the moment you stop growing as a leader is the moment you start dying as a leader. So I think collaborating is just mm-hmm. so important. If we want to continue to reach our highest level of potential and performance, you need to surround yourself with people that are going to continue to feed you, feed your soul, contribute to the meaning of your own life, and also help you continue to learn and grow because we should always strive to to continue on our own personal development journey throughout life. Absolutely. Well, talk about someone. Let's let's go back to some nuts and bolts here because you said you're a young skinny kid, you you have this huge undertaking <laughs> Not going so skinny on. anymore, I might add. Uh, well, still handsome as hell, so you're good. But let's talk Thanks. about what our youth needs to do to be taken seriously. What do you think are some, some good tips to help mold people? How should they present themselves? What, they, what should they be telling themselves, kind of a, a self-positive speak? And what do you recommend for someone just to gain that confidence to go out in the world in general, not to go on a speaking tour, but just what do you think it takes to get out there in the world? I think the, one of the biggest things lacking uh, in, in the world right now is confidence. We're in this like confidence shortage, and I mean real genuine confidence. People that wake up in the morning can look at themselves in the mirror and feel such pride and confidence in the person that they are. And I don't think it matters whether you are a college freshman or a senior executive at a Fortune 100 company. We can all build greater practices into our lives to be more confident people every single day um, in our interactions with ourselves and in our interactions with others. And I see it as a cycle that we can each enter at, at any point in our life. And the cycle has four parts to it. The first is information. So we're surrounded by information today. It's never been a better time to seek knowledge and and build your own internal database of insights. So you need to seek out that information. That's number one. Number two, once you're gathering the information that's relevant to you, whatever skill you want to build, in order to build the skill, you actually have to apply that information. So step one is information. Step two is application. And then once you're applying that information, then you're building the skill, you're building competency. So step one is information, then application, then competence. And the more we build our competence, the greater our confidence is. So information, application, competence, confidence. And then the more confident you become, the more you want to seek out that information, the more you have a thirst for knowledge and growth. And it's a cycle that continues over and over and over again. Why most people don't enter that cycle 
is twofold. Number one, most people aren't very self-aware, right? I meditate 20 mm-hmm. minutes a day. I have so many practices I've built into my life to stay as self-aware and be as mindful as possible as a person because I know I can't grow if I'm not aware of my own strengths and weaknesses to begin with. So that's one. We all need to be a little more self-aware. And number two, a lot of people are just terrified. They're just terrified and, and stifled by fear, um, fear of, of the world, fear of themselves, fear of growth, fear of, of difference, of change. And my friend Michelle Poehler helped reframe this beautifully for me. Michelle Poehler, amazing author, amazing friend of mine, she said, you need to stop asking yourself what's the worst that can happen and instead ask yourself what's the best that can happen. Because then Love instead that. of filling your brain, right, instead of filling your brain with here are all the worst case scenarios, <laughs> instead you're uplifting your mind by injecting it with all these incredible opportunities. Here are all the incredible best case scenarios that could happen if I do this. So when we reframe with that positivity and we become more self-aware, then we can enter that cycle of, of confidence building where we're you know, gaining the information building the skill through application, gaining our competency, and building our confidence. That is some great advice. Thanks so much for sharing that. I want to talk about something I read that you said, and I've, this has been a principle for me for a long time, and that's about listening. I hope that I am a, at least a decent interviewer for being able to listen, and I think I read somewhere that 99% of your job is to listen to others in order to to be successful, talk about the importance of listening and the power of listening. I, I believe that listening is the greatest practice that we have access to in our arsenal as human beings. And for me as a speaker, that's my main job. I might look like I'm on stage speaking all the time, but really I am spending almost all of my energy listening, focusing on my audience, their body language, listening to the laughter, the pauses, just keeping my fingers on the pulse of the energy in the room because it's a conversation that, you know, it's a back and forth. And the same is true in any exchange, whether it's me speaking to an audience of 10,000 people in a convention center or one-on-one in a boardroom, you know, whether you're in a, a meeting with colleagues or whether you're sitting around the dinner table with your, with your partner or your family, we all can spend a lot more of our energy and time listening because that's how you can stoke and build more quality relationships in your life. We all want to feel seen and heard and like we matter to people. And we all have the power to help someone else feel those things about them. It starts with us showing up with us deeply listening and and being more present in any situation. We live in this kind of distraction era, right? With all the technology, all the devices, there are so many things around us at any given moment that are seeking our attention. And the more that we build the skill and the practice to tune all that out, to really be present in a situation and to give someone our undivided attention, the more quality that interaction will be, the more quality that relationship will be. And if we're talking about business, if we're talking about negotiations, the more fruitful that exchange will be in the end because you're gaining trust, you're building momentum by simply showing up and listening and giving that person your full undivided attention. Talk about LGBTQ youth for a second. Uh, do you do speak? Uh, do you speak with those type of groups? What is your recommendation for gaining that confidence to be yourself? Um, as you said, it was a learning experience for you. What 
recommendations or do you have for our LGBTQ listening today? Regardless of whatever kind of adversity or challenges you're dealing with, I believe it's so important to be yourself, your whole self, unapologetically. And it took me a long time to get there. Um, it's, and it's still, you know, a, a journey. I think it is for all of us to continue to really show up and be our full authentic selves in any situation. It's, it's terrifying, especially if you're part of a group that has been subject to so much hate and hurt over the span of, of time. And, you know, right. here I am, a, a queer Jewish Canadian kid. <laughs> so <laughs> I feel like in some ways I've kind of dealt with all of those things in, in a different way, in different contexts. And, you know, they all come with different challenges. But the more that you're able to build that confidence from within, the more you're able to acknowledge that you have value by simply the, the, the nature of who you are as a person on this planet. It's not that you have something to offer. It's that you are something to offer. And I think for a long time, I felt like I needed to show up and I needed to deliver. I felt like I was only ever being recognized because of the things that I was building, because of the things that I was doing, because of the things I was saying. And it took me a long time to wake up in the morning, look at myself in the mirror and realize that if I do nothing, still have value. If I do nothing, I still matter. I am still love. I am still value. I, I am all of those things just base level by virtue of me waking up on this planet today as a person. And ultimately, that's a story that you tell yourself. It's a story that for me, I've convinced myself of the truth that I have built inside of me. And I think if you're struggling with any kind of self-esteem, confidence with, you know, leaving your door and really being you, the whole you, nothing but you unapologetically, you have to start by really building that truth within you the the most important person the only person that you really ever in your entire life need to convince anything of is the person staring back at you in the mirror and so to be able to make eye contact with yourself in the mirror and convince yourself that you're loved tell yourself that you're valued to say these things to yourself to repeat these affirmations to yourself in whatever order you choose whichever ones are meaningful to you that's the starting point it was a starting point for me it's something I still do to this day. I think ultimately we need to all build up that kind of self-esteem capital from within if we want to leave our door and have the greatest impact, reach the greatest performance, and be the, the fullest extent to, to who we are because that's how you're going to reach the most joy, connect with the most people, and live your best life. Thank you. I think authenticity is such a key myself, and I'm glad you were able to share that with it. Talk about for a second, your A&E docuseries, The Undercover High, what insights did you get through that experience that really you found some, uh, maybe some universal truths or things you weren't maybe expecting to find? How was that of an experience for you? It's been a wild, eclectic journey these last 10 years. It's crazy. I mean, I, sometimes I forget that that, that experience even happened because, you know, I've done research around the world. I've been embedded <laughs> in you know, a, a high security prison. I've been embedded in a high school like that TV show you're referencing. And just, I've seen the underbelly of, of community is all around the world. It's, it's been a while. That particular experience being undercover in high schools uh, was, was fascinating because when I was growing up, technology wasn't quite what it is today. Social media didn't dominate the scene 
like it did today. Right. I still remember, you know, my MSN Messenger days in MySpace, and <laughs> and today it's definitely not those things. It's, it's very much TikTok and Facebook, and it's just a different a different world. And there are challenges right. today that the next generation uh, are, are facing that are 24-7 issues. When I was growing up, these were things that usually I could leave at school. And now it lives in their pocket, the anxiety, the depression, the pressure. And honestly, I don't think a lot of the things that I saw kind of opened my eyes to what even 20-somethings and some 30-somethings are dealing with today. And that's this... Uh, comparison complex where we have this Instagram syndrome where you're constantly scrolling and looking at all these lives that appear better than yours, all these pages that seem more refined than yours, all these faces that seem prettier than yours. And you're looking through this lens at all these, these highlight reels and comparing them to what you know as your own reality, which of course is warped and shifts your, your perception and, in some ways makes you reassess what really matters and what, what you really want to present to the world as yourself. So I think the number one thing that I took away from that experience that we could all apply to our lives is to strive to have a more healthy relationship with social media, be more intentional and, and focused with the time that we spend online, no more aimless scrolling, no more of those experiences where, you know, suddenly you realize, two hours have passed by and you've just been online scrolling and watching and looking at all these things that you can't even recall. And also following all these pages are people that don't bring you joy, that don't enhance your life in any way. I highly recommend everyone listening right now, take a chunk of time, book, you know, something in your schedule, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, an hour, whatever you need to actually go through your social media list of who you are following or friends with or connected with pages, profiles, people, and make sure they're actually contributing value to your life. And if they're not hit that unfollow button and make sure that you aren't, you know, putting any more weight on them. You aren't giving them space in your life because if they're taking and not giving, if you're looking at these pages and they aren't actually contributing any value to your life, it's a waste of your precious time, time that you could be spending doing anything else. Um, and I think social media should be a tool for us to feel good and expand our perspectives and learn more about ourselves and the world. And there's a lot of good on there, but there's also a lot of hurt, a lot of gossip, a lot of comparison, and a lot of refined highlight reels that are, are not inspiring, but instead they make us feel less of ourselves. That is probably the best advice I think I've heard today. I appreciate you saying that. I mean, even myself during this time, I'm looking at mine and I'm like, why am I following all these people? I don't really understand it. And I think that is a great way to kind of just live your life the way you want to live it and be surrounded by that positivity. I think that's fantastic advice. I talked to so many quote unquote celebrities that have these thousands of followers and they get in that same cycle where they'll have 4,000 great comments and two bad ones. And they'll concentrate on those from these people they shouldn't be following to begin with um, just because of circumstances. So I love that advice. Now we're getting ready to wrap it up here because we're running out of time. So I want to talk to you, give us a little peek into what you're seeing the future post COVID-19. How can we be better ourselves? What should we be doing now to make it better for ourselves, for our countries, 
and for the world. Take a moment and think about what you've missed most or what has been most challenging for you over these last few weeks. And I'd venture to say that at least one of the things, if not several of the things that you're listing mentally in your mind right now, has to do with your connection, meaningful connection with other people, shared experiences. It's those simple moments in between that matter most to all of us. And usually in the busyness of everyday life, we can all get caught up in that busyness. Some of us wear busyness like a badge of honor. I know I used to, right? I used to just get consumed by my work and use it as a distraction and miss out on life along the way. And coming out of this, my greatest hope is, and, and wish for the world is that we can come out of this and put a lot more emphasis and priority on our quality time spent with other people. Offline, in real life, in person, handshakes are going to matter so much more. Hugs are going to matter so much more. Sitting across the table for someone, my, my hope and my wish is that I see less families out for dinner in restaurants all on devices, right, where I see less colleagues out with their phones out on the table, you know, people out for walks actually talking to one another. I think that this is an incredible eye-opening experience for all of us to realize that what matters most in the world are other people the people that we get to share this incredible planet with. And, and I'm really excited about the next chapter. I don't think there's going to be any, quote-unquote, going back to normal. I think there's a new normal that we all get to co-create. And I'm really excited about that. I think 2021 and 2022 are going to be some of the biggest, most meaningful event years in history. I think that concerts, festivals, gatherings, all of these sorts of public events are going to just skyrocket because we're all starting to realize that those are the moments that matter most. It's not the virtual reality in our bedrooms. It's not video games. You know, all those things are nice and, and fun, but they can't take up the majority of our life because they don't hold the same meaning as quality interactions with other people. Amen, brother. Thank you so much for that. Shane Feldman, it's been an absolute pleasure sharing you with my audience. You have such wonderful insights. And you have to come back again, my friend. You, you really motivate me. You lifted up myself and I'm sure my audience out there. Thank you so much for being on the show, my friend. Thank you. This has been incredible. And I hope if, if you're listening, if this resonates, if you want to reach out or if there's anything you know I can do to, to support you, please reach out. Connect with me online, shanefeldman.com, or, of course, social media, wherever you spend your time online. Um, I'd love to, to connect with you. I'd like to, to share my journey with you. So if you need some positive social media <laughs> to, to follow, you can, you can count me into that and just c- come on on and, and join the go. motivational train here. No, you were a jump ahead of me on that. And also count me in, let them know where they can find out information about that as well, please. Sure. Yeah. If, if you are a parent, uh, if you're in high school or college, or if you are a teacher, you can learn more about all of count me in's programs at cmimovement.com. Um, and learn more about uh, all of our, our curriculum and school programs and, and other live events. All right. Well, Shane Feldman, I'm sure you've probably packed and unpacked bags about 50 times over the last couple of months just looking for something to do. Thanks so much for taking <laughs> the time to come on the show and visit with us. It's been amazing talking to you, my friend. My pleasure. Thanks so much for having me, Scott. It's been a great. All right. Well, stay on the line for me, Shane. Guys, we're going to play out a little song here. I'll be back on the other side. You're listening to the Left of Straight show right here on the Left of Straight radio network.
landmark that people know. It's an old steel town, and uh, when I was a kid, I was like a little studious child. I uh, I wanted to be a scientist <laughs> when I was a kid. I wanted to really. Yeah, I wanted to pour bubbling beakers into each other. I don't know. I'd wear a lab coat, see like some liquids boil, and and then I also loved uh, sports and football. Just like nice. Ohio is a sports kind of town, right? They take their serious their football very serious there. That is one hundred percent true. And then, you know, you eventually mid midway through high school realize that hey i'm gonna try out for a play and then your life changes forever <laughs> and you can never go back oh that's hilarious i love yeah. it i mean i'm from southern california originally and we have lots of sports there but it's not a football town like this place is it's just you got the grandmas yeah. going out to every high school game you got everyone and their brother i mean it's pretty wild how serious they take it here i think it's it's kind of cool and kind of weird all at the same time to me that's absolutely true. And there's a lot of weird little rituals that pop up in towns. You know, we used to have a crosstown rival, but they had to stop playing it because there was too much, like, I guess, vandalism and too many. Oh, man. I don't know. When you're in, when you're in such a small Ohio town, a lot of the pastimes are like meeting up with rival schools to fight in the parking lot. I didn't do much of that, but. That was the uh, tradition that was, you know, quashed before I came of age. Right. Now, I mean, you're a great straight ally. Did you know I, the rumor told, and a lot of my friends have told me this here in Northeast Ohio, I do not mm-hmm. know for definitive proof that Steubenville had or has a gay mayor. Do you know anything about that? Oh, yeah. I think, like, was it He was mayor a colorful Mucci? character from what I've heard. Yeah, I think – I don't know to what extent he was out, but I think it was kind okay. of like suggested when I was growing up. I would say that uh, at least the Subinville of my childhood wasn't the most tolerant or welcoming place. Uh, but right. I guess the guy did a good job and people liked him because I think he was mayor for like 20 years or something. More. That's what I'd heard. Yeah. So yeah, I thought that was a very wild thing. It just, I, I wouldn't think it of. I mean, Ohio is getting more progressive. I will say, but there are definitely mm-hmm. pockets, especially um, in different places where, I mean, my neighbor is like the most racist neighbor I've ever met in my entire life, and he's not the only <laughs> one. And it's like oh, there, there's some things that still shock me a bit. But it is getting yeah. more progressive. I have to say that for sure. And you went to the Catholic yeah. College in Steubenville, didn't you? I went to the Catholic high school there. I went to – I did go to a Catholic college. I went to Notre Dame in Indiana. Good old Notre in Dame. The, did you really? Yeah. That's kind of cool. Now, were you taking yeah. theater there or are you taking – I know you were a paralegal at one point. Were you taking regular business class? What were you taking? I studied a great books program. So it was like – literature, philosophy, that sort of thing. And uh, I did theater. I did, like, I did musicals when I was there and, like, different sketch comedy shows. A lot of that was born there. I wouldn't say Notre Dame's the funniest place in the world, but a lot of interesting, uh, sincere people. Nice. And you had... You had to have a sense of humor early on because I was kind of doing some research. (laughs) Something about um, for... I guess high school or college, 
you used a Wayne's World portion for a Book of Genesis project or something. Talk about that. That's kind of funny. <laughs> Wait, did you find that on? Is that online somewhere? <laughs> that is online somewhere. I found this stuff. I'm a good researcher. Wow. I'm a good researcher. You really are. <laughs> oh man, yeah. That I think I had a religion class where we had to do a story or like a report on Genesis, and I basically just ripped off Wayne's World with like. I don't know, man. I think my brother dropped like a hamster into a bowl of water unharmed, but it was like supposed to be like the creation of the world as told by Wayne's world. I, I'm not sure where you found that, but I'm sure it's awful. <laughs> it was like 14 messing around with the camera. I'm just glad that YouTube didn't exist and all my videos are not all, they're not there you all. Go, right. <laughs> yeah. I think it's a great story. My brother, I have a younger brother that my parents moved his junior year to senior year, or his junior year, I guess it was. Mm. Um, and so he had to go to a new high school, and they put him in a Catholic high school. First time ever, we are probably the most non-religious family you've ever met. <laughs> it's not we're anti-religion. We're just non – there was no practicing religion growing up, right? Totally. So he goes to this Catholic high school. And I think his first book report was Paul was a cool dude, and the teacher <laughs> just did not know what to go from it. So I hear you. I like the sense of humor. I think that's kind of fun. You need to have it to survive Catholic school as far as I'm concerned. So that's hilarious. That's true. That is true. Because otherwise you just get overwhelmed by the crippling guilt. There you go. I bet. I bet. Catholic school or Jewish Jewish <laughs> college, I guess one of the two. Which which guilt would be more? I don't know. Like I said, I'm so non religious I have no idea. <laughs> Yeah, I've I've heard that it's a age old battle. It I just want all the religious listeners ever who have tuned into my show, but hey, that's okay. I, I, we'll we'll go there. What the heck? <laughs> I'm sure they can. Now, speak, there you go. Speaking of my research, I, I kind of really enjoy talking to any guy that has done a vampire musical. Talk to me about this. Oh yeah. So, um, teeth, a monstrous musical comedy. I wrote that in college with two of my friends, Tim and Chris. They, uh, yeah, we had this idea of like, Chris was going to study abroad and we were just like, what if he came back a vampire? And so we wrote a musical <laughs> around this idea of him uh, going to study abroad in Transylvania, getting bit by his professor, who is a, uh, who's a very sexually frustrated vampire he was unable to have children of his own because we wrote our own lore uh, for vampires. There was no sunlight stuff. It was all different. But, yeah, he basically is trying to follow him back to be a son and all this stuff. So it was fun. Uh, we did that in college. We put it up twice, one time in at our old high school. And then we did it again at the Carnegie Hall in uh, Pittsburgh, uh, which is cool. Nice. It was we basically just got a chance to write parts for all of our uh, musical theater friends from high school and kind of put them in our dream roles for them. So it was a nice little reunion. That is awesome. I love that. That's such a cool story. About how do you go from musical theater to more of the comedy improv route? Was it a direct line? Was it kind of a wavy line to get there? Or talk about that journey. Yeah. I mean, in college, I was doing both musicals and, like, sketch comedy. Because, like, I think I always had an interest in doing, you know, 
loving SNL or Chappelle show or all those kind of sketch shows mm. when right. I was in high school, junior high. And then, and I think, I mean, for myself in musicals, I was always cast as the adults who had a lot of speaking roles, not the best singer. <laughs> I'm not. Uh, and I uh, was always a little bit of an oddity, even within the musical theater world. And I think I found more of my people in the uh, comedy world where it was mostly focused on just the comedy mm. part, because let's be honest, my skill set was a little different than what you need. You know, I can't hit a high G. So it, my, my options were limited. And then basically I was like working a job out of college and I was pretty miserable. And I had talked to someone who like recommended that I take an improv class. And then I did that and I was just like, Oh, okay, here we go. Got hooked. Cause I had been in this rut of like, Oh, I have this awful job in order to make money to pay rent in order to live close to this job that I hate, which was like, this, this can't <laughs> last. Yeah, I did. I've been doing improv for, I guess, ten years now, which is wild. That's amazing. Now, do you do stand up as well, or do you concentrate primarily on the improv? Uh, no stand up for me. I've done more improv. I've done sketch. I've been doing some more like script writing recently. I mean, I had I had done script writing back in college when we wrote teeth and different like sketches and stuff. But stand up's great. It's uh not as much where I think I fit or like where my brain lights up. So I've uh, stayed (laughs) more in like the story world. Yeah. Now what is the riff you always hear between the riff actually between stand up and improv? Is it a real thing or is it a made up thing? Uh, Does it rear its ugly head on occasion? Is there a difference between the two and a warring faction there? Um, They're definitely different. I mean, I think that there's like slight judgments between each of them. Improv is like for sure not cool. It's like a very sincere art form (laughs) and it's not cool at all. And um, which I think probably puts it closer to musical theater in that regard. (laughs) But stand up is (laughs) like you do it by yourself. They're usually people who, I don't know, they're not team sports players. They're like more solo sports players. Where like improv, it's like you've got a group and you're all working together and everyone's like arguing about what opening they're going to do. And it's like a really nerdy place. Um, so I wouldn't say it's like openly hostile. I think all that stuff is kind of died down for the most part. But there's definitely a bit of like stand-ups for sure ridicule improvisers, which is fair enough. And uh, right. improvisers don't always love performing with stand-ups because they're kind of more doing their own thing while like not the group thing which is fair enough that's why there's different art forms and how much of it is actually doing improv and how much is sketch comedy do you try to combine the two in a certain show or is it usually separate shows how does that how do those two worlds kind of combine yeah i mean it's interesting to talk about this all the theaters in new york are kind of closed indefinitely it's interesting to like think about what the world of live comedy is going to look like moving forward. But I mean, historically what I'd done is I'd been on a lot of teams at B or the people's improv theater where it's like a group of eight people. And then you do like a half hour show once a week. 
And then independently of that, I would put on either like short play type shows or sketch type shows. There was a show I had co-hosted with my buddy Devin Ritchie a few times called Cool Shit, Weird Shit, where we just, you know, we there'd be like a theme for the month and then we'd invite a bunch of people to do bits like in keeping nice. with the theme and then we would do our own. And that was like a late night show down in the village and it was, I don't know, it was weird. Like there was one show where Devin took acid <laughs> where it was like, guess who took acid? It was like me and Devin. I didn't. He did. And then we just like had people present uh, bits that would sort of set that off or be like, that is geared for an audience that's on acid. And then I would ask him like weird questions in between each thing. And we do like that's little hilarious. sketches and yeah. <laughs> I mean, so I'd say mostly improv, but I did, I, I've done sketch here and there and all things in between. That is very cool. I, I like, I love a good improv. There used to be a great improv group on campus at UCLA. I used to go watch a lot. When I lived, I was born and raised in Southern California before I'd been banished to Ohio. Yeah. But um, there, there's always, <laughs> I love finding a good improv group. Talk about finding your tribe in improv. Is it easy to kind of combine with others? Is it a tough meld at first to get there? Do you, is it half and half? Do you, sometimes you just click and sometimes you don't. Yeah, I'd say it's a little bit of both. So usually the way like your first team happens is you're in a class and then the people who seem to be who seem to gravitate towards each other form a group out of that and then you start practicing independently outside of the class. And then it usually mm-hmm. starts where it's a bunch of people, maybe you have like 10 people and then slowly people stop showing up or you know in the more dramatic situations you have to ask like that one that one big loud guy to leave because he's like always making the wrong jokes or you know an asshole um <laughs> and i've had that happen and it's not comfortable um the a lot of the teams at these theaters you have to go through like a big audition process and then they there's like a panel or a committee that puts the teams together based on who they think would work well together so like it can turn out that two years of your life you're going to see somebody every week and it's like determined by someone else, whether or not that keeps happening, which is a sort of weird scenario because you're kind of like (laughs) forced into friendships or at least into uh, partnerships or business relationships. Right. What do your ideas come from when you're writing your, your sketch comedies and thing with Do you go from, just everyday life? Are you situational like that? Or do you just have ideas that occur to you? Or do you have to just sit down and try to think of something funny? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's tough. I um, try to think for like, for like some of the pilots I've written recently, I'll usually go for something that either seems exciting or it's like a big question that I kind of want to explore. Hmm. So, and like seeing if I can sort of dig into that through like comedy, because I think like a lot of my comedy is going to, has like some level of like deep sincerity and also just a lot of absurdity to it. And it's sort of where the place where those two meet that it uh, brings forth. My last 
pilot I wrote was based off of Sunset Boulevard or inspired by it. And just kind of like the combination of like that world and also the place that I was in at the time, which was unemployed and desperate and being like, (laughs) what would I be willing to do in order to make ends meet? So it's like a combination of, uh, yeah, like these big ideas and then also my life experience that I think I can derive like the story and then you can find little like behavioral moments within it that are funny. That's awesome. I love that. Now talk about, have you ever thought of of television writing or going to LA? I had Josh Conkle on the other day. He was in New York for a long time. He said, it's just hard to be a playwright or write in New York city. Cause there's just, it, there's no pay there. And it, it's tough to get established, but he went to LA and like there's a television writer job available on every corner. I mean, not now due to COVID probably, but he found it very easy to transition television writing. Is it something you ever thought about? Uh, yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, I think his description of New York sounds very accurate to me. <laughs> it's very hard <laughs> to get uh, paid to do it. I mean, in a lot of ways, I've thought about my time in New York, which is coming up on eight years, as like my form of comedy grad school. Oh, and it does okay. seem as though the universe has been kind of uh, – uh, kicking my ass out of New York a little bit where it's like, Oh, you know, that theater and all the uh, performance that you love to do. Well, it's like, well, now it doesn't happen anymore. And like, not just mm-hmm. for you, not for anyone. So, I mean, it is like moving to LA. I've got a number of friends who've made the move over the past few years. And it seems like it is like a pretty tough transition for a lot of people just having to move to a whole new city and like all the expense of, moving and buying a car and doing whatever. I mean, that's all the logistics, but I think eventually I'm hoping that my path would lead me to a job writing, a TV comedy. Yeah. Pursuing all of that. That would be awesome. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's definitely different New York to LA. I mean, money wise, it's not as bad. It it sucks to have to, like you said, buy a car and do some initial things. But as far as cost of living goes, it's very similar. Like, I like I said, I was born and raised in Southern Cal and been back here to Northeast Ohio for 17 years. So I've gotten used to Northeast Ohio pricing, and it's almost impossible for me to move there because I haven't made that kind of money <laughs> yeah. in a long time. So it's it's real difficult. So I, I think it's a little easier for my friends from New York that have moved there. But it is like you said, the driving yeah. part is a big thing. You have almost have to have a car there, unless you're. Well, I, I guess that's not true either. Uber's become so big there that I have a lot of actor friends and everything. It'll just Uber to appointments and to auditions and things like that. But still, that mm. being said, yeah, that there is sense. a lot more opportunity there, I think, for a writer. Yeah, I just heard the same yeah. thing about New York. It was very tough to write there to get any money out of it, at least. I like yeah. to call it kind of a learning college, though. though. That's that's pretty uh, a good way to look at it. And I think that's what we're, what's going to happen with all the stuff happening right now and the quarantine, people learning a new way of doing things. Streaming has become a new thing for so many people. It's changing music. Totally. It's changing television. It's changing all sorts of deals. But it's also a great time for reinvention. So I think you could, that's a mm-hmm. very possible thing to do. Have you been very introspective during this time? How have you been 
doing all this? Do you have to work a job also, or are you just kind of waiting for the next job? Yeah, I've been working 40 hours a week during all this from my bedroom. Um, I work at a nonprofit for children's mental health, so trying to do what I can to help keep that place running and doing well and feels like it gives me a little sense of purpose through this. And yeah, I definitely think that this has been an introspective time, like going back, reading some books, flipping through old things that I had read. I've lately been just like going and watching a lot of the classic films and reflecting on them and calling up friends and discussing them. I'm like, hey, maybe I should start a podcast where we talk about it, even if it's just for me and, you know, the few people who I know that would care to hear these thoughts. But doing more journaling, you know, nice. going to therapy, doing the essentials, <laughs> trying to keep myself <laughs> in a good mental space. Now, are you dating or do you have a partner or that's got to be, I I don't know how I would handle quarantine if I wasn't, if I was dating and couldn't be with somebody. So I'm getting lonely just to yeah. hug somebody. Um, how are you handling the um, physical, emotional part of it? Uh, downloaded the dating apps. <laughs> it's uh, <laughs> it's a weird, it's a weird uh, experience right now. I've done like two like FaceTime dates. And nice. Yeah, it's weird. It's hard to know uh, or get a sense of someone through this because I can't imagine people are also presenting their best selves during all of all of this either. Yeah, right. everyone's just like sort of on edge and hard to get a sense of like how you fit with somebody. But it does feel like there's going to be a brief window in about a week, or I mean, maybe. It's already happening because a lot of people are so desperate they're breaking the rules, or maybe it's going to be in a month. Who knows? But when they, like, lift the interacting with, like, small group ban, and then everyone's just going to pair up. And I think it's just going to be absolute madness. I think that these are exceptionally horny times, and people are losing their minds. Uh, And it's going to be interesting to see how that affects everything. Hopefully we I all definitely get think there. we're going to see another baby boom in nine months. I think you're right on that. As soon as this officially yeah. breaks, <laughs> there will be a baby boom. Uh, I don't know how much you've been talking to your parents. In Northeast Ohio, we're getting more and more by the day. Last Tuesday, we were allowed to go to retail. Um, last Friday, yeah. patio dining was opened and hair salons and, and uh, day spas and things like that. This Thursday, tomorrow, I think indoor dining, of course, restrictions on everything but it's coming mm-hmm. back relatively quickly here Composed, I mean, yeah a little bit of- in some ways i think it's good if they're using like reasonable measures in order to determine that things are able to open and not just kind of like opening because people want to get back to normal or something right uh, but i've been encouraging my parents and i for the most part they're listening to you know, wear their masks and stay at home as much as possible. They they keep going to Lowe's, and I'm just like, you guys got to <laughs> cool it on the Lowe's. Yeah, I talk about my mom, uh, Mama Linda, on the show quite a bit. She's 81 years okay. old with diabetes, so she's luckily afraid to leave the house, which is luckily for me, not for her. But I feel yeah. like she's afraid. But it's like uh, she has she's been right, out of right. the house twice in nine weeks to go to two different doctor's appointments just for regular appointments that she normally goes to but yeah she's kind of looking forward oh, wow. to she's she's at the point where she wants to go to a restaurant so th- that's going to be interesting and see where that happens 
I had a thought kind of go across my head when we were talking earlier. How do you present yourself um, profession-wise? Do you present yourself as a writer, as your day job? Because I just think it would be hard. I feel like there's a difference between a lot of the entertainment industry and being in comedy. Comedy, um, you're a trained seal. Do a joke for me now. I don't know if I'd ever presented that. Yeah. How do you present yourself to others? Yeah, I would say that I I do – I, I'm a comedian and a writer. It's usually how I would present it. Or like I do comedy, writer and performer, gotcha. writer and performer in comedy. Yeah. I mean, it is uh, sort of tricky <laughs> for sure. <laughs> but like, if, I mean, there's always that distinction of like, what do you do for work or like, what do you do? Right. And I'll tell people about like the job I have which I've been able to, and like I've taught improv classes too. So I guess like that has been professional at different points. So that's, I have worked in comedy and been a teacher, but it, uh, that's like Jake actually took my class. Jake's very funny. Just a nice. reference. Uh, so yeah, it's, cool. it's weird. These kind of self definitions are strange, but when I'm at a uh, writing competition, like festival, like TV festival, I'll say I'm a writer, <laughs> you know, kind of depends. <laughs> well, I'm sure all these projects got postponed during this. Do you have anything upcoming? Are you hoping to, to rekindle once this is over? Or where do you, where do you see yourself going from here in the next six months? Yeah. I mean, I'm hoping to get some of these scripts polished, maybe get some more writing done. Uh, this has been a exceptionally uncreative time for me so far, just with, dealing with all these surface level issues and survival, <laughs> but right. uh, I'm, I'm hoping to have a podcast going um, within six months. Yeah. I just started talking about it a few days ago, probably premature to mention here, but that I think that would be something fun for me to do and productive during right. all this time. Very cool. I like it. Well, if you ever need a producer, let me know. I got plenty of airtime left on my network. So, you you just give me a shout out if you don't find anyone to produce it. I would awesome. be more than we'll happy. All right. Great. Well, I got to tell you, it's been fantastic getting to know you. We're about running out of time, Bill. Let everyone know where they can you find too. you. Um, do you have social media they can follow? Just kind of keep up and look for projects down the road. Yeah, I'm uh, at Bill DePiro on Instagram and Twitter, D-I-P-I-E-R-O. Uh, yeah, those would be the best places to find me. Fantastic. Well, it's been a pleasure, Bill. Thanks so much for being on the show, guys. We're going to play out to a little music. Let's go ahead and play out and stay in line for me, Bill. Thanks for being on. Thank you.